I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. On this episode of Newt's World, I'm joined by longtime political reporter and analyst and best-selling author, Mark Halpern. He's one of the most influential voices in reporting on American politics, with his morning newsletter entitled, Mark Halpern's Wide World of News. And I have to say, I read it every morning, and I find it invaluable in offering insights and, frankly, bringing together the key events of the last 24 hours in a way that I find very helpful. He's recently started a new platform called Two-Way, where political novices and political junkies alike can participate for free in live, informative, and civil conversations online with people from across the political spectrum. Here to talk about election 2024, our current political landscape, and his new business venture, I am really pleased to welcome my guest, Mark Alpern. Mark, welcome, and thank you for joining me on Newt's World. Mr. Speaker, great to be with you. Appreciate the kind words, and we're all living in Newt's World. Before we talk about your new venture, Two-Way, I thought we might catch up on some recent news around the 2024 election. Since you're based in New York, let's talk about the New York 3 Congressional District Special Election, which took place on Tuesday with Tom Suozzi, the Democrat, won taking over the seat George Santos, a Republican, held until he was expelled from Congress. Were you surprised? What's your take on the outcome? Not surprised. I think that in special elections, it's always important to learn the right lessons and not the wrong ones and not overread into anything. The basics, as you know, of this district is it's a Democratic district. It's a Biden district. The Democratic candidate was well-known. Previously, it held the seat. The Republican candidate was not well-known and not a good candidate. And the Democrats spend a ton of money, more than they can spend as an absolute amount or compared to the Republican in other races. So Democrats should have won the seat. But I think the important things to look at are if there were a red wave, if there was a mood of a very anti-Biden mood and some polling in that district, private polling, had Donald Trump ahead of Joe Biden. So there's reasons to think that there was a district ripe for 
a kind of throw the bums out sentiment. And the Republican was an outsider, the Democrat an insider. But that didn't happen. So there's no current mood to say Democrats just can't win anywhere. And then two more things that I think are important to take away. One is candidate recruitment, something you spend an enormous amount of time on in your career over the last few cycles. There's been a lot of focus on Republican Senate recruitment failures. I think if you look at the races around the country that are competitive, where Republicans would need to win to keep their majority or expand it, I think you see the kind of weak candidate recruitment potentially with primaries to come that bedeviled the Republicans in this district, where the candidate just wasn't a very good candidate. She's got a good bio in some ways, but she didn't run well. And then lastly, I think President Trump has set the Republican Party back in terms of early voting and vote by mail by denouncing them. And I think you saw in that district, Republicans remain at a disadvantage there, and that's going to have to change for Republicans to do well. And so those are kind of the three main lessons I would take away from a not surprising result. It was sort of the ironic moment that everything we'd warned about with early voting, they have a blizzard the night before the election. And that morning, you have snow all over the district, I think eight or nine inches deep. And that further reduced turnout. So an election day focused turnout runs certain dangers. And I was frankly disappointed that all we'd seen about the whole idea of bank the vote and all the Republican National Committee stuff, I don't think it had any effect on this particular special election. Yeah, I agree. And it's just a warning. The party's going to have to get better the way it used to be. It used to be a Republican thing, and it's flipped completely. Saw that during COVID. And President Trump is going to have to step it up. And I think good news for the Republican Party, if it happens, is Chris LaCivita, who's been co-running the Trump campaign, is now going to also run a lot of the RNC. And I think if he does go over there and he is given the authority that I think he'll be given, I think this will be a super high priority with him to work with the state parties to get the Republican Party back to at least parity on early vote and vote by mail. Everything we've seen in LaCivita so far, he is a remarkable talent. I mean, he and Susie Wiles have done an amazing job of moving that campaign in a very methodical kind of way. Now, probably the biggest story of the last week, special counsel Robert Hur and the way he released his report. And I have to say, I think if I were a Democrat, I'd be pretty angry. When he says on the one hand, you know, we're not going to try President Biden. On the other hand, he says, we have to consider that Mr. Biden, quote, would likely present himself to a jury as he did during our interview of him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. I mean, it may be accurate, but I thought it was remarkably tough language for a guy who's running for re-election. And I think it's had a significant impact over the last few days. I don't know that it has a permanent impact. It'll be a depend on whether Biden can operate and prove that he's capable. But what was your reaction? Totally inappropriate. Shades of what Jim Comey did. I think these prosecutors who think that they're entitled to pretend that what they're doing is apolitical, and then they're putting themselves right in the midst of a presidential campaign, I think are really out of bounds. And I say that regardless of party. In the two examples I'm citing have hurt Democratic presidential candidates. But I would say the same thing about the way the Justice Department has approached Donald Trump. It's just, we saw it with both President Bush 41 as well. It's just These prosecutors, I just don't understand how they do this. And Joe Biden's own attorney general could have influenced this and chose not to. So I don't think it's fair. I'm troubled by the notion that it's Joe Biden's memory. I say respectfully because you use that word. I see people use that word. To me, it's his cognitive ability. I have a horrible memory. 
but I think my cognitive ability is still not good decent. The question is, can he process ideas? Can he make decisions on an informed basis? Memory is part of that, but I think it's too narrow a definition of what the issue is. And I've known Joe Biden for more than 30 years, I think. I saw him do a book event in 2018 before he announced he was running for president. And I saw a man so diminished, I felt bad for him and his family. That was before he even announced he was running the first time. He's had substantial cognitive loss, not as substantial as some Republicans say, but more substantial than those lying on his behalf claim when they say, oh, he hasn't lost a step. He's every bit as good as he was. The reason I think the special counsel report had an impact, as you said, and I think will continue to have an impact is I think it, in an odd and crazy way, I think it provided a permission structure for Democratic elected officials, for donors and for White House reporters who've been covering up for Joe Biden to say, well, now that this special counsel said it, now we can actually tell everybody sort of the truth that, in fact, this is a real issue. And I think that, as you suggested, now the burden of proof is on him. He can't just have his press secretary and his senior aides trot out and say, oh, he runs this ragged on the road. He took a train to Kiev. He's in the best shape of his life. Now he's going to have to demonstrate it. And of course, I'll say finally, the American people didn't need the special counsel's report. 75% or so of the American people can trust their own eyes and ears and see a significant cognitive decline. And they didn't need the special counsel's judgment to already know that and have that be a serious threat to Joe Biden's reelection. Do you have any serious doubts that he will be the nominee? I'd say the only way he won't be the nominee is one or both of the two H's. If he has a health problem so severe that his family says, well, he can't possibly govern the country. I also think if Hunter Biden were convicted and faced prison time, I think it's possible he would pardon him and not run. Short of those two things, neither of which can be anticipated, and both of which I think have a pretty high bar, this constant speculation, which you and I discussed on a two-way the other day, this constant speculation that Michelle Obama or Gavin Newsom or Gretchen Whitmer is going to be the nominee with some convention switcheroo, it doesn't accord with reality. He wants to be president again. He thinks he's the only Democrat who can beat Donald Trump, and he thinks he's entitled to the nomination, as most incumbent presidents do. So he's going to be the nominee, barring one of the two H's. You'll be pleased to know that even this morning, a very, very successful guy who's pretty knowledgeable about politics, called me to say that he was certain that Barack Obama had decided Michelle should be president and that the switch would take place in June. I hear it every day. Hear it every day. Sometimes it's June. Sometimes it's July. I hear it every day. It's not true, but I hear it every day. Well, I was delighted to know we were going to do this today because I had to report that to you because it fits so much of what both of us went into. And of course, we could end up with a lot of egg in our face if in June she decides to run. Sure, we could. But look, I can tell you this, as much as I'm expressing almost near certainty that Joe Biden will be the nominee, barring a health issue or something with Hunter Biden, I am more certain that Michelle Obama will not be the nominee under any circumstances. She simply does not wish to be in elective office. She's not interested in running or serving or doing anything related to being elected. So if Joe Biden doesn't run, it will be someone else. It will not be Michelle Obama. Well, and frankly, if you look at some of the retirements in the Congress, they're expressing a similar sense of exhaustion. Why would I spend my life going through this? I mean, we have turned politics into a combination of blood sport and total logjam in a way that makes it dramatically less pleasant than when I was speaker. I mean, this is a much nastier, much tougher environment, I think, than any time since the Civil War. I mean, it's just 
brutal. Is it your working assumption that if Biden does run, and he clearly is running, I mean, he's got a nationwide operation, that inevitably Kamala Harris is the vice presidential nominee? Yeah, and I spend a lot of time on this, too, both reporting it and talking to people about it. She's not interested in going anywhere. People have suggested perhaps she shouldn't be on the ticket. She's not interested in stepping down and doing anything else. She wants to be vice president and she wants to be president. And I don't see any reason to think that will change. I don't see anyone who could talk her out of it. Second is Joe Biden knows a lot, probably more than anyone alive, about vice presidents who are disrespected by their presidents because he was disrespected less by Barack Obama himself than by Barack Obama's people. And one of the great uncovered stories is the amount of time they spent having her hooked up with world leaders, both in the United States and when she travels abroad. They spent an enormous amount of time setting those up and having her have those meetings to get her ready on paper and in reality in case she has to be president. And so Joe Biden has spent his time doing the opposite of disrespecting her. He spent his time making sure the staff treats her well in every respect. And then finally, look, the Democratic Party politics are such that even if you tried to replace her with a black woman or a non-white woman, the elites of the party, particularly her closest allies, would go absolutely ballistic if they tried to replace her. And even if they did it before the convention, during the convention, wherever they did it, it would be a bloodbath within the party. And right now, I would put the top of Joe Biden's list of immediate political problems is lack of support from the base of the party because of immigration, because of Israel, because of student loans and other issues. So the last thing he needs is to have a fight with the base of his party and take his approval rating down into the high 20s. So yes, Kamala Harris will be the vice presidential nominee, again, barring some hugely unexplained issue. I think that the way she's evolved, I think on the Republican side, we can't accurately assess how competent she is because her style makes it very hard for Republicans to take her seriously. Have you spent any time with her? No, I never have. I knew her before she was a senator a little bit. I don't know her well, but I've spent time with her. I once actually spent a little bit of time with her and Bo Biden, just the three of us, which was part of why I was so confident in my projection that Joe Biden would pick her as his running mate. As I said earlier, Joe Biden is not as far gone as Republicans say he is, and he's not as solid in his facilities as Democrats claim. It's the same with her. She's not nearly as bad as Republicans say. She's very bright. She's very self-aware. She's very facile about public policy. But she's not nearly as good as Democrats say. She's very self-conscious about criticism. And she can't slough it off. And so she becomes someone who blames the staff around her, demanding of her staff, looking to feel aggrieved. And there are a lot of people, you and I have spent a lot of time with people in politics who fit that profile. And that causes her public performance to suffer. So I think those who are at all surprised by this should look at her presidential campaign, which while it started somewhat strongly with a good announcement speech, was reflected all of the problems that she has now, managing her staff, public presentation, dealing with criticism. And as you know, from studying people like Dan Quayle, who's a very smart, able and nice guy, once the narrative sets in that you're not up to the job, it's very difficult to change it because the press and the public sees all and opponents seize on the things that reinforce what people think. So I see because I knew her before she was famous I see every day when she's visible, her doing things that I think are very solid. But then I see her word salad. I see her being indecisive about things. And I know it's going to be a very, very steep climb to get her out of this. To draw a distinction, 
from your perspective, if she did end up ascending to the presidency, if something happened to Biden, I get the sense you think she actually could do the job. Well, I'm sorry I gave you that sense because I'm not sure. Like I said, I think she'd be better than her critics think. You wouldn't think it would be an automatic disaster. Whereas on our side, most of us think it would be just a nightmare. As a citizen, I would hope she would pick a really, really strong vice president to help her govern. It would not be the nightmare that you and those on the right think it would be in terms of definitively unambiguous nightmare. On the other hand, I think she would have some challenges because of this self-conscious inability to process criticism or let it roll off her back, process it in a productive way. I really do think that's a real problem. She's not dumb. She's a very charming person. She's just like Al Gore, like Mitt Romney, like John Kerry, like Hillary. They're just not able to show their charming sides in a public presentation way as much as they are privately. And I think she would have that challenge as president. I think that's a big challenge. But it's possible she could do the job well enough that it wouldn't be some sort of disaster. And I don't know that she could be a great president, but if she had to serve as president for a couple of years, again, I think it's possible she could do it. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. I didn't realize that you had served as a senior communications advisor for No Labels. I did. A couple years ago, they asked me to work with them. I believe in their mission 
of trying to have bipartisan solutions and that a lot of the biggest challenges, like immigration, as we just saw, can only be solved by the parties coming together. So I did work with them. And like I said, I really believe in what they're trying to achieve. I think they're kind of floundering now because they're confronting reality, which is that politics is a messy and complicated business and you can do all the planning you want to, but then you come to a crunch time and I think they're having a hard time filling the spot. They've done a good job of organizing, getting on the ballot. I was not aware that Gallup had a poll last month where Robert Kennedy Jr. has a 52% favorable and 34% unfavorable, which is substantially better than either Trump or Biden. And yet he seems to be sufficiently disorganized that even though he has a general public popularity, unless he could find an alliance with no labels who I think wouldn't take him or with the libertarians, I mean, he has to have somebody who is already on the ballot, it seems to me, or his popularity will be irrelevant. Yeah. Again, I'm not working with no labels now, but I can talk about them and, and take a little bit of issue with what you said. In terms of Kennedy, unless he takes a libertarian line and they'll give it to him, I think he flushed $7 million his super PAC did down the toilet with a Super Bowl ad for somebody voters can't vote for. He's on two, ballots, two state ballots now, as I understand it, in states that require just a few thousand signatures. Getting on the ballot is really hard. And so if he's a libertarian candidate, he'll get on most ballots, and that will be interesting. In terms of no labels, you know, you said they're floundering because they don't have a ticket. They haven't tried to name a ticket yet. And naming a ticket is like, as I always say, it's like finding a spouse in Alaska or a parking place in Manhattan. You only need one. In their case, they need two. They need a president and a vice presidential ticket. I think if you look at the public polling, let alone the private polling, look at the public polling of every news organization in the country, the demand for a third choice that is viable is quite high if it's Trump versus Biden. Tens of millions of people, maybe as high as 75%, do not want to vote for Trump or Biden. They just don't. And so the right ticket, I think, could win. And again, you don't need to win a majority of the vote to win, as everybody listening to this knows, to win the electoral college votes of the state. Just need a plurality. And I believe the right bipartisan ticket, one Democrat, one Republican, I believe could win the 270 electoral votes. That would require them to come in first in a remarkable number of states. Well, enough to win 270 electoral votes, yeah. But again, the wrong ticket couldn't win a single state. The right ticket could, I think, win. And I wouldn't have said that in any other cycle I've ever covered. You know, Perot ran a horrible campaign. He got 19% of the vote. He chose a veteran who'd served honorably, but a horrible running mate. He quit the race. He claimed his daughter's wedding had been disrupted by ninjas. I mean, did a horrible job, but he was ahead. Before all that happened, he was ahead in national polling. And again, he was not that great a candidate. He had a great message, and there were some things appealing about his candidacy. But he was running against two guys who were both relatively centrist and relatively popular compared to these two guys. These two guys, President Trump, President Biden, are seen as extreme right and extreme left and extremely unpopular. So Perot running a horrible campaign when the mood of the country was much more attached to the two major parties can get 19 percent against two centrists. I believe a strong ticket against these two guys at this time can win. Well, I have to reopen my mind because I respect you enough. I'm going to have to think about that one. I've looked at a lot of data. I believe the theoretical possibility, but can you imagine the personality? Because it would require somebody to catch fire. 
It would have to become a movement almost overnight. It couldn't just be a candidacy. Correct. And it would have to be two people who, by virtue of it being a bipartisan ticket, and by virtue of promising a bipartisan cabinet, and naming, I think, some of the people who they would like to consider for the cabinet, I don't know that they have to be The Rock and Ellen DeGeneres. I don't think they have to already be famous or flashy, because I think they've become famous right away. I prefer solid over flashy for this. But as long as their tone and their mood and their optimism and their policy prescriptions stand in sharp contrast to the two major party nominees, I think they would become famous in a day. And I think the demand for them would be very high. You remember the Minnesota governor's race, which turned a third-party professional wrestler, Jesse Ventura, into the governor of a state that thinks of itself as highly enlightened. It was a magic moment. It was. Now, look, he's the rock model, right? He was famous, but he won in part because people saw him as plausible. And that's why I think that the key thing is these two people, whoever they are, if they do go forward with the ticket, and they might not, they really need to instantly live up to the expectations people have in terms of where they are in polling. A lot will depend also on Kennedy. Clearly, a fair amount of the Kennedy vote would be going to the no-labels ticket. And if Kennedy's not on the ballot or is on the ballot, that makes it much harder for a no-labels ticket to win because a lot of the Kennedy vote is people who don't want to vote for Biden and Trump. So if there's no Kennedy and if there's a no-labels ticket, I think they'll start at 20. It's hard to poll if they're not famous. They might be famous, but if they're not, it's hard to poll. But I think if people just say, here's this third ticket and you know, here's the description of this person and that person, Again, I'm not saying they're the favorite. I'm not saying it's effortless. But I do believe the right ticket would have a very strong chance to win. In this sense of your focusing on substance rather than glitter, I was intrigued, and you caught me totally blindsided uh, when you came out the other week and said that you predicted that Senator Katie Britt, who is the junior senator from Alabama, would be Trump's vice president pick. And now that you've had time to think of it for a while, do you still think that? More dug in than ever. I'm going all the way with Katie Britt. (laughs) All I do when people say to me, oh, it's not going to be Katie Britt. I say, well, you tell me someone stronger. You know, the other names that I hear a lot now are J.D. Vance, Ben Carson. I just am happy to argue the merits of Katie Britt as a governing partner and as someone who could help electorally against anyone else. He's going to have the biggest problem that he needs to solve with women. I think that's a fact. That's going to be his biggest electoral problem. He's going to have his big problem with the establishment wing of the party. That's going to be a big problem for fundraising and for media narrative. Katie Britt solves those two better than anyone else I can name. Finally, I always say this is about her, not her husband, but her husband is a former professional football player. And I believe Donald Trump will find that irresistible. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. (laughs) 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Speaking about Trump, I just was listening earlier today to the evolving saga in Fulton County and Judge Scott McAfee, who has apparently said pretty clearly that if it turns out that the district attorney and her lawyer had a relationship before the effort to go after Trump, that he might, in effect, disbar both of them. That could easily happen this week. That case is dead. Even if they somehow skate through this, which I doubt based on what you cited and others have said, that case is dead. And I continue to believe that it's true about all four cases, all four cases to a greater or lesser degree. These are novel legal theories applied to unclear facts. And I just don't think the first time we send a former president to prison or confinement or whatever he'd get, I just don't think it should be a novel legal theory based on uncertain facts. And that case in particular, bring a RICO case against him for some phone calls. I just think the politics of this are abysmal. And that case, given how many defendants there are, given that it's a RICO case, it's not going to happen before the election, even if these two prosecutors somehow are allowed to stay on the case. So I'm not that interested in the cases that aren't going to happen before the election, because I'm mostly interested in these cases as they pertain to the question of impacting the outcome. And if they're not happening before the election, they're not in- impacting the outcome, except to the extent that they're helping Donald Trump because his supporters believe he's not being prosecuted, but being persecuted. Has that surprised you? I mean, if you went back, say, two years and had been asked to project ahead all of the legal things that he's been through, would you have expected it plausible that he could go through and actually gain strength? Oh, that part. Yeah, that part, I believe, because the complicated reasons why they've helped him. Some of it's simple. Some of it's more complicated, like the elements of it that connect to race the race of a prosecutor, the race of a judge. I think that's part of it. But again, these people look at these cases and they say, where's the victim? What's the actual crime? Who's been prosecuted for this kind of thing before? And so there's a fair amount of rational negative feeling about these prosecutions and a rallying around the leader of a movement. You and I have both talked about this separately and together. It's different to be the leader of a movement than to be the nominee of your party or a president. 
We haven't had in our lifetime very many leaders of movements, but when the leader of your movement who has stood up for you on economics and national security and culture, when the leader of your movement is come after by prosecutors aligned with the other party, yeah, of course you're going to rally. Of course you are. And some of it's a little bit mystical and some of it's mechanical. The Trump people have been brilliant at war rooming through emails and online and through President Trump's rallies at rallying people to say they're coming after me because they want to come after you. And that message is emotional. And emotion is the thing that Donald Trump has been able to parlay into this almost decade long run that no Democrat active now can match. It would have been interesting to have seen Clinton at his peak and Trump at his peak. Bill Clinton was an extraordinarily effective and competent politician. I agree with that, but I'd like to see Trump against Bush 43 or Trump against Obama, because there's not a Republican or Democrat who've gone up against Donald Trump who's close to his equal or close to those other three guys. Sort of like I want to see Bill Russell against Michael Jordan. I want to see the greats from different eras matched up here, and unfortunately, we'll never see it. I agree with Obama. I'm not sure Bush 43 was in the same league. I just said that based on having worked on the 88 campaign and the 92 campaign. The other person that would have been fascinating was Reagan. Reagan would have seen it as a match where he would stay at a distance and Trump would desperately want to clinch. Yeah, that's great. Perfectly described. I think Reagan is probably one of the greatest leaders, certainly since FDR. His ability to understand the country, understand history, and with a kind of style that was astonishing, which Obama, to some extent, I think, copied. We'll meet for some cocktails and talk about Bush 43. I think his political abilities are underrated. I think he may not be in the league with Reagan, Clinton, Obama, and Trump, but he's underrated. He won his nomination and re-election. Explain, and I think it's very interesting that you've done this, explain the whole concept of two-way. So... I've been trying in my whole career to come up with journalism models that will work. And for some of the issues we've talked about earlier, to me, there's two things that have to be true about a journalism model for it to work. One is it has to make money. And the other is it has to be good for democracy. And it can't play to division. Too many of our successful news organizations now succeed by playing to division because they play to the red team or the blue team. So what two-way is, is an attempt to succeed as a business by bringing people together in live video where all voices can be heard and to have the kind of conversations that are more sophisticated than cable, with all due respect to my friends on cable, longer than a cable news segment, and based on mutual understanding and learning as opposed to division. So some people say, well, I would never have AOC on my platform because she's too left wing. And some would say, I'd never have Matt Gates on my platform because he's too MAGA. Two ways for everybody as both uh, content providers and political figures, as well as an audience. So it's not a platform for moderate centrists and independents exclusively. It's a platform for anybody who wants to understand what's going on in the country and share different points of view. So it's a video platform. You come on live video and you listen to conversations. Sometimes they'll be regularly scheduled. Sometimes they'll be pegged to big events, so big conversation on the night of the State of the Union or the night of the Republican Convention. And then sometimes they'll be based on breaking news. And if you're a member of two-way, you'll get an email saying, you know, a Supreme Court justice has just announced retirement. What's going to happen next? And the idea is to convene people about politics broadly defined, not just elections and exit poll data and things like that, 
but healthcare and trade and everything else. Fun, vibrant, sophisticated conversations where people who don't normally have access to talk to people like you get a chance to talk to people like you and listen to you have a conversation with others that is, again, more sophisticated than is normally available. People can just go to your website? They should go to two-way, the number two-way, two-way.tv. Sign up. And eventually, we're just now launching. We're doing basically pilots of different sorts. But when we're up and running, people will be notified by looking at the app or looking at the website or by an email what events are coming up that day, that week. And then you simply log on. Right now, we're doing them through Zoom. Eventually, it'll be through the app. You just log on and you're part of the conversation. You can listen. You can ask questions. You can make comments. And again, it'll be a series of programs, of episodes. Some will be daily, some will be weekly, some will be based on breaking news or special events. But the idea will be you can watch from anywhere, you can participate from anywhere, and you can then you'll be able to watch them video on demand. There'll be some text content around them like newsletters. But the heart of it is bringing people together for sophisticated conversations that they can just log on and they can listen passively. But the reason it's called two-way is for two reasons. One is two-way conversations. Some of the most famous and popular creators in the country, whether they're musicians or politicians or writers, they don't really have two-way conversations on a regular basis with their fans and people who are interested in their ideas. They might run into somebody at a restaurant and have a brief conversation, but the two-way is what makes us different. If you watch cable news, it's one way. If you read somebody on Twitter, it's one way. This is two-way conversation. And the other reason is it's all voices. It's not just left-wing voices or right-wing voices. It's all voices. And that those two things will distinguish us from others, where the conversations are all one way, and they tend to be not legitimately letting all voices be heard. In addition to two-way, you have, of course, your Wide World News newsletter, which I cherish and think is a remarkable product. And you have a concierge service, which really does bring together in some Zoom conversations just some of the most amazing people in American politics. I mean, I'm astonished at your range. It's really one of the things I'm proudest of that I've done in my career. And it's a big part of the magic of it is the generosity of you and other leading Republican voices and Democrat voices. Some people will have heard of and some not, but curated. So it's a very smart group of people. And it's very participatory. It's not a shout fest. It's meant to educate and inform and to understand. It's an expensive service. There are two tiers. I call them because my son is a fan. I call them Mario and Luigi. It's not for everyone. The top tier is 4800 a year. The other tier is 3600 a year. But you get the daily newsletter, and then you get these conversations. And these conversations, I look forward to them. My tagline for both services is conversations like no other. These conversations are unlike any conversations I've had in my career. Maybe on occasion, I've been to a great dinner that just sort of came together. But these are 30, 40, 50, 60 people dedicated to exchanging information, ideas, analysis, perspective. We talk about polling. We talk about country, the state of the presidential race, the congressional races. And they're just for someone who can afford it and who really wants to know what's going on and to hear, you know, a leading Republican and a leading Democrat talking civilly and asking each other questions. I don't think there's any other service like it in the country. And like I said, I'm super proud of it and I couldn't have enjoyed them more. I look forward to them because they're, to me, they're unique. We do focus groups. We bring in newsmakers. We've had leading figures, including some who don't normally speak to the press available. They're private conversations. And again, if you've got the money to afford it and you're interested in politics, you can go to walkingduck.com slash mark, walkingduck, 
com slash mark. If you want to read about what comes with the service and how to become a member, I'd love to have you. And is the newsletter also freestanding? No. The only way to get the newsletter used to be freestanding. And occasionally I send a newsletter to the original wide world of news audience. But if you want the daily newsletter, the only way to get it is to become a member of Concierge Coverage. Well, it's a brilliant newsletter. It's amazing. I have to say that I remember one time a Democrat who I'd done a lot of TV with said he was on some show and the producer says in his ear, get angry. <laughs> and he said, I wasn't going to get angry. I was having a great conversation. And I think you're just the opposite. You're not trying to get us to get angry. You're trying to get us to genuinely have a dialogue. And I found all of them so far to be remarkable. I want to thank you for joining me on Newt's World. I truly enjoy reading your work. I'm very impressed with both how well you understand American politics and the range of acquaintances that you have. I think that you have earned being a tremendously influential voice in helping us understand the complexities of the world we're now in. And I do encourage all of our folks who are listening to this to visit your website and look at twoway.tv and look at, in general, the things that you're doing. So I really want to thank you for taking this kind of time to be with us. Well, very generous words, and I'm very grateful to you for your participation and the membership and following my work and appreciate so much the ability to communicate with you. So thank you and great to be here to talk to your audience. Thank you so much. Thank you to my guest, Mark Halpern. You can get a link to his new venture, Two Way, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.